Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. I am Rob King, your host. So glad that you're here with us. This is uh, podcast uh, episode number 17. We're going through the first letter of the Apostle Peter. Something that's been on my mind lately is just the sufficiency of God's Word. Have you thought about that lately? The fact that God in times past, in Hebrews 1 it says, has spoken many different ways and through prophets and but now has decided to speak through Jesus Christ, his son. And this is how he speaks, through the gospel. And this is where the gospel is located, in God's word. There is an absolute sufficiency to scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of it. Then the Holy Spirit now illuminates the writing of the word to you so that you can rationally and clearly think through the Word of God. Also, the fact that the Scripture has a particular meaning, that God intended something when He wrote it, in the same way that I have intention behind everything that I say, unless what I say is complete gibberish, I have an intention, a meaning, and there is one particular meaning that I want to have, you know, when I'm speaking or when I'm writing something, so that God, when He authored his word through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has a meaning for it. And as we study it and think about it, it transforms our life. This is something that's been on my mind. It's why I love to teach the scriptures, why I can't get enough of the Bible, really. And and even just studying it is just so, uh, I want to say illuminating, though I already use that word, it's enriching, it's sharp, it's the truth. What a love we develop for the truth. I'm encouraging you, since you're listening, you must have the same kind of desire for the truth. I love the truth. And as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you'll love the truth more and more. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I like to say that you'll know the truth and the truth will make you mad. That does happen. Uh, But it's only because it's the truth and it fights against some part of you that doesn't want to hear the truth. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) Well, his word is truth. We're clean because of the words that he's spoken to us. I'm just encouraging you, although you already know this, in all of the world, there is, I'm going to say this, nothing as powerful as the times when you sit and listen to the word of God. Let it enrich you let it correct you let it chasten you is that a good word of what it does it has everything that is required for you to grow in godliness in your marriage in your life in your christ-likeness in your business in every single way the word of god will meet those needs and with that being said let's get right into it we're at first peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 Here's what it says. I'm going to read this passage, and then we're, I'm going to go through this. I'm really excited to share this with you because there is so much in this. We're going to give you some real handles to grab onto. The Apostle Peter is going to tell us some things that are so important as we're thinking about uh, really what his theme of the book is, which is you can have victory through suffering. I'm going to say that again. You can have victory through suffering, through suffering. Uh, a, a theology of suffering is absolutely fundamental, essential for your walk with Christ. If you're going to keep running this race, if you're going to be in victory, you're going to go through some suffering, but how do you do it? Well, 
The Apostle Peter continues to give the scattered churches some advice on how they can suffer persecution and still walk in victory. Here's what he says, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the uh, lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. What is the Apostle Peter trying to say here? Let's break it down verse by verse. In this section, the most, uh, the most common theme in this verse is... He's saying we should arm ourselves. And like most of the letter from Peter, he's urging believers to be willing to face persecution for righteousness' sake. Here again, he's going to point to Jesus Christ as to how we can look to him for the hope we need while suffering for righteousness' sake. Like I said, the key verb in the entire paragraph is the idea that we should arm ourselves. From the Greek, this literally means to arm ourselves with weapons. And he's going to give us four ways to arm ourselves as we suffer. What do I need to do when I'm suffering to really make it through and live in victory? The Apostle Peter is going to give you four things to arm yourselves with. If you feel like you're in a battle or fight, it's because you are. This podcast is called Running the Race because we're in a race. Paul liked to metaphorically refer to the Christian life in this way. He also referred to it as a fight and said, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. There's this idea of struggle in that, right? So don't be surprised if this is a battle that you're in right now to live for Christ. And This is the reason that I enjoy doing this teaching, because the teaching will warn us of the fight that we're in. If you don't know that you're in a fight, you're going to lose the fight. But you're in a fight. You know that. Now the Apostle Peter gives very practical help as to how we are to be armed. There's four things. The first is this. We are to arm ourselves with the mindset of Jesus Christ. To have the same mindset of Christ. Because Christ also suffered, and what was Christ like when he suffered? We want to be Christ-like, so we think... Remember in Philippians where it's written where Paul says, I want you to have the same mind in you. That was in Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead became a servant, made himself obedient, even to the point of death. Remember that? Let this mind be in you and have the same mindset that Christ had. You shouldn't be shocked. You you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't say, oh, I I can't believe this is happening. No, no, this is happening. You're going to struggle. Jesus said this. They hated me. They're going to hate you. And if they don't like Jesus, and he's holy and perfect, they're also not going to like you as you live like him. Remember the scripture says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. In other words, he knew that there was going to be complete and total victory. And that 
that notion, that idea, that reality that was off in the future influenced, it encouraged him during his suffering. Christ knew that in becoming a curse for us, he would free us from the curse, and he looked forward to that. And what was his attitude that Peter wants us to adopt? What was the attitude that Christ had? His his attitude was that he embraced a willingness to die, knowing that it would produce great victory. I'm going to say that again. He had a willingness to die, knowing that it would produce great victory. I wonder how often we really kind of think about this in the middle of our suffering, that the, the, the source of our greatest victory is often our willingness to walk through what appears to be the greatest defeat. After all, I mean, this is how Jesus described the Christian life to his disciples. Peter, Peter would have recalled this as he was writing this very text, because Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The disciples didn't understand when Jesus started talking to them about his death. They expected him, remember, to set up his kingdom on earth immediately. They were asking one another all the time, hey, who's going to be second in charge? Remember? They only realized after his resurrection that Isaiah 53 must have meant something else. I mean, when he, because in, in Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Christ, the prophet said that he would be a suffering savior, if you remember that. They didn't put that together really until after the resurrection. They didn't understand that Jesus had to die. He started telling them that in his ministry, and, and, and it was just beyond belief for them. This is what I so often mention to uh, married couples in biblical guidance. The key to a healthy marriage is that both people need to be willing to die. Die to your own desires, die to your own selfish ways, right? I mean, if you're married, isn't that the key to uh, relational success? Somebody, you know, has to be willing to repent and to, to, to die to self, as we like to say. This reminds me that I was recently out to dinner with my children and, uh, and Stephanie. So our whole family got together. We were celebrating our middle daughter's birthday. We were so thrilled. Both of my now married daughters and their spouses and our son were able to join us. And since we were there together, I just kind of off the cuff, I didn't plan this. I decided to do kind of an impromptu questioning of their now year-long marriages. So my first question was um, what they had learned about themselves in the first year of marriage. The first response and the most common response from all of them, all four of them that have been married for almost a year uh, or just a little over a year, was how surprised they had been at their own level of selfishness, and that had been revealed since they'd been married. (laughs) So, hey, someone in your marriage needs to be willing to die to self. Please don't take that in the wrong way. You're like, oh, somebody needs to be willing to die. It's the other person. No, murder is a sin. Uh, I need to move on now. So uh, we, we need to arm ourselves with this attitude that Jesus Christ had. What is it? A willingness to take up our cross and follow him. Recall the way that, uh, let's see, the Apostle Paul put it. He said this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. 
Struck down? Yeah. But not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Is this your Christianity? Listen to that. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. Yeah, you heard it right. For the believer, death is a way of life. And let this mindset be in you. This is how you suffer. Now, you may be asking, what good does it do to arm ourselves with this attitude that we're all suffering and heading towards death? That's not exactly good news. Well, this is where we have to be reminded that the greatest triumph of all is that when we die, we completely cease from sin. This is what the Apostle Peter meant when he was writing this. Even though we are right now still in a battle with sin, albeit we've been justified and God sees us as sinless, we will never be completely free from this body of sin until we're glorified in the presence of Jesus in heaven. This is what the Apostle Peter means. He he said, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, let me explain it this way. As many of you know, I've mentioned that my dad recently went to heaven, went to be with Jesus uh, back in March. And it's good to be reminded that one of the greatest joys we will experience when we enter into heaven is that we'll no longer be running the race or fighting any battles. We will be completely free from sin. Um, maybe as an aside, I'd, I'd like to remind you that as a believer in Christ, we need to have a different, higher view of death. We really do. If we, if we really believe in Jesus Christ and he's the resurrection and the life, we need to think differently about death. Paul was, Paul's the one who said, I can't decide whether to, to die and be with Jesus or to stay here. He was so looking forward to being with Jesus, and yet he knew the people needed him to stay on the earth, and he was kind of in this. So I'd ask you, do you have hope in heaven? I mean, yes, we, we grieve when those around us die, for sure. That's natural. We're going to do that. That's a process. You can't hurry that process. But what's also completely natural for one who has faith in Christ is to also totally rejoice in the eternal life and the reward that our friends are now enjoying. They actually are really enjoying that because of Jesus. False prophets today tell us that we can have our best life now. But, dear friends, The Bible couldn't disagree more with that worldly sentiment. I mean, our best life is our next life if we live this life right. Our best life is way, way, way our next life if we live this life right. This might sound strange to our ears, but the worst thing that can happen to a suffering believer is to die unjustly, and yet that's actually the best thing that can happen because that means they are forever and finally free from sin. Arm yourself with the goal of being free from sin. One last passage from Paul to emphasize this point before we go on to the next one. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Arm yourself with a hope of being free from sin. If you're suffering, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, I'm on my way. (laughs) Secondly, (laughs) Secondly, we need to arm ourselves knowing the will of God, to know the will of God. So many people struggle with knowing the will of God. Even when I say know the will of God, you're like, can we know the will of God? Yes. We ask the question, what's God's will for my life? Like it's some great mystery. Well, here the Apostle Peter gives us the will of God. Here's what he says in uh, verse 2. So, as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. If you want to know what the will of God for your life is this, I'll give you a little hint. It's never a place and it's never some mysterious once in a lifetime event that if you miss it, you're going to miss all of the will of God. The will of God in scripture is that we would know him and live completely for him. As a matter of fact, if you're saved, filled with the spirit and living submitted to God, which by the way, if you have given your life to Christ and are saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. According to Scripture, you uh, the only way you can be regenerated is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, reference Romans chapter 8. And you're living submitted to God. You are living His will for you. Do what you want. If you're saved and filled and, and you're submitted to Him, the, the reason so many don't know His will is because they're not saved, they're not filled, they're not submitted. They're now doing whatever they want, and they really should be doing whatever they want. The will of Jesus is that everyone who hears his words lives according to them. This is how you build your life on the rock and not on the sand, not being hearers of his word only, but being obedient and doing what Jesus has told us to do. And then you don't have to worry, am I in his will? Do his will. Do his will. You're in his will. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So. Jesus is saying, if you obey me, you're doing my will. That is his will for us. I'm reminded where the scripture says over and over to be holy as I am holy. The Holy Spirit promotes your holiness. I guess that's why he's called the Holy Spirit and not the silly spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't promote silliness. He promotes holiness. When we're living fully committed to God, filled with the Holy Spirit, saved, submitted to Him, we never have to ask the question, am I in His will? So far in this battle that we've embraced suffering by arming ourselves with the attitude of Christ and also by knowing God's will. And so the Apostle Peter moves on to talk about arming ourselves with this. Here it is. Know that you are a new creation. How can I suffer and come to victory? Well, I need to know that I'm a new creation. Remind yourself of this. Here's what it said, for in the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out all the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. That's a list. In all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. I don't think the Apostle Peter could be any clearer on this. He's saying, you've had plenty of time in your old life to live the way you wanted to and rebel against God. Unfortunately, I do relate to this passage all too well. There's a way I used to live, and thanks be to God, I don't live that way anymore. I I think of the other times where the Apostle Paul had, uh, the Apostle Paul, that is, had listed off a number of sins to the Corinthians. He said, or do you not know? He was talking to the Corinthian church. He's he's naming them. Here he's saying, or do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. See, the church that Paul is talking to is filled with former sinners of all kinds. The simple idea here is that we should arm ourselves in this battle while we're suffering, knowing that we're a brand new creation in Christ, and we no longer live the way that we used to live. I think sometimes as believers we encounter a sort of shunning from our previous friends, don't we? I remember when Christ was so gracious to me, and while I was in graduate school, I committed my life to Him after years of unsuccessful running, and I noticed immediately that, you know, as soon as I started to really live completely for Christ, all of my so-called friends, and even close, like, dear friends, brothers, I thought, they started to treat me quite differently. I remember being a bit surprised that they were so willing to party with me and so unwilling to relate to me as I talked about scriptures. Looking back on that now, I see how naive I was. I I remember trying to share scriptures with them while we were on a trip to Florida during spring break. How naive is that? They were partying and drinking, and I was listening to the Gospel of Mark on my headset on the beach. I'm pretty sure I was the only guy doing my devotions on the beach during spring break. The end of those relationships was very near. It was difficult. I mean, I, I've got to tell you, I, I, I wanted to serve God, and I wanted to have these friends, and I just couldn't have them both. And it, it hurt that I had to walk away from them when they were unwilling to embrace my new life. And those relationships, re, re, they required of me that I would have to party with them, and, and they didn't like my new life. And it was surprising to me. Oh, if I just tell them the gospel, they're just going to know. No, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate a person. And they weren't at that place, right? They just were not at that place. This is our old life for many of us. Lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Have you been tempted to go back to this whole old life and be with old friends? I've unfortunately, over 25 years of ministry, I've seen this happen many times with people. The lie is maybe they think they're missing something. It appeared that they received the Word of God, but... It didn't last because the cares of this world attracted them too much. Some people choose high school friends over the Savior of the world. I've seen it happen. Some people can't stand. Maybe, maybe the initial loneliness of giving their life to Christ, and, and, and they return so quickly to partying or drinking parties and carousing. That's a great word, carousing. Why else would you go into a bar except to drink and carouse? And why else would you drink in a bar unless to be drunk? There's no other reason for a jello shot than to be inebriated. Let's be honest with one another. Okay, uh, the Apostle Peter is reminding us that we need to arm ourselves with this knowledge that we are a brand new creation in Christ and we should walk in newness of life, even if it means those we used to run with malign us and treat us poorly. You will be persecuted if you live a holy life, if you don't tell the same old jokes. The world doesn't want to have anything to do with your holiness or your God. Let's just face it. Unless until the Holy Spirit does a work in their heart. Do we love them? Absolutely. Do we care about them? Yes, but we don't go back to old friends. What, what does light have to do with darkness? Bad company corrupts good morals. Pray for them and maybe stay away. That's just a little advice. The Apostle Peter concludes this portion of our transformed life by reminding us that those who used to run with us, my dad used to say, running buddies, <laughs> or who they running around with, I love this. 
the Apostle Peter says the same thing, that those we used to run around with will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this is something we don't often think about, but we hear so much talk about tolerance and we're so careful not to offend anyone. And man, I, I don't know about you, but I wish we were half as concerned about offending God as we are about offending men. We're also taught about the love of God, the grace of God. Yes, 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 it's all true. Sometimes, it's, though, it's almost like the New Testament's changed the very nature of God in Jesus Christ. Like the Old Testament God was judging the world with floods, and he even would strike people dead if they touched the Ark of the Covenant. And one time he killed 50,000 men just for looking into the Ark of the Covenant. But now Jesus has come. He's a softer, gentler, kinder version of God, right? Now there's no doubt. No doubt. I mean, thanks be to God for the grace of Jesus Christ that allows us to come into salvation. Thank God for a mediator. How else would, would we come to know God? But it's good for us also to be reminded, and this happens at the end of the New Testament, that the only way we can come to Christ is to repent of our sins. Even the gospel at some level is an offense to sinners. Just deal with this fact, folks. The truth divides because the truth draws lines. The first truth of the gospel is that you are a sinner deserving judgment. This isn't easy. And then we talk about being saved, which is simply, it means being saved from the wrath that is to come. And the wrath that is to come is when Jesus Christ returns. I'm afraid there's a whole lot of Christians who won't even recognize Jesus when he comes back because Jesus rode into Jerusalem the first time on a donkey in great humility, right? But, but when he comes back, he will be coming in full strength, ready to judge. He's exchanging a donkey's colt for a white stallion, folks. When Jesus comes back a second time, it won't be for salvation. It will be for judgment. Here's what it says in Thessalonians. Paul writes this. Brace yourself for this. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who reject you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well as when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is a reality. We live in a culture that seems convinced the only way that people are going to come to Christ as if they know all of the great things he's going to do for their life right now. But a greater truth that everyone really needs to know is that they are commanded to know Christ because if they don't know Christ, they will suffer judgment. We seem to know the good news, but not the bad news. And again, uh, for a fear of maybe offending someone or for the fear of the persecution we'll receive, because if you tell someone the truth, that's not always going to settle well. Like I said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you mad, usually, before it'll make you free. Well, we need to speak the truth in love. The most loving thing you can do for someone is lovingly tell them the truth. If their house is burning down, you don't do them any favors by denying it. In heaven, we won't only rejoice over the great mercy that we've received, but we'll also give great glory to God for the justice he's met out to all of those who refuse to know him. This may be hard to take, but we will give him glory for his grace and mercy, and we will also magnify him for his justice and wrath. You only need to think of the cross to think of the fact that the wrath of God still exists. Jesus suffered in our place, so we won't have to suffer. But to all those who don't trust in him, they will perish. And many of those who 
have maligned you in your suffering will suffer the wrath of God. This is what the Apostle Peter is saying here. This isn't something we want anybody to endure, and that's why we have a passion to share the gospel with the lost. We love our friends. We, we pray for them. Okay, we've got to move on. The last thing we're going to arm ourselves with, according to the Apostle Peter, is the hope of eternal life. So here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. When the Apostle Peter here is talking about those who are dead, he's referring to those who heard the gospel and yet died before its writing or died before the second coming. There was a concern among the early church that anyone who died before the second coming of Christ, they might not inherit eternal life. That's how close they thought uh, the second coming was. So the Apostle Peter was making it clear that those who have died in Christ will experience the hope of eternal life. And this is the last thing we're to arm ourselves with when we're suffering. This is a genuine hope that we have, not some wishful thinking kind of hope like in so many of our songs today, but a genuine looking forward to eternal life with Jesus Christ. My wife, Stephanie, and I, we talk about this a lot. This life is not easy. We encounter so many trials and tribulations. We remind ourselves that this place is not our eternal home. Too many people today live with just this world in mind. People live for their body. They live for the thrill of life. They live for travel or Instagram pictures or for their families. It's not all that these these things aren't all bad, obviously, but it's just that not all of these things are the pinnacle of our eternal experience either. I might never visit the Eiffel Tower, but I'm on my way to heaven and I'm pretty sure the streets of gold are going to be better than Paris. I I have a, I guess you can have a bucket list, but you're still going to kick the bucket. And yeah, I just said that. And you got to have something more than what you can get out of this life. Even better than that. I mean, it, better than Paris, you know, being on the streets of gold. Yeah, just think about this. Any Frenchman that you meet in heaven is actually going to be humble and God-loving. Now that will be a treat and a surprise. I need to move on. Here again, we turn to Paul and what he said to the Thessalonians in order to kind of ensure them of this encouragement. Here's what he said. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That means dead. So that you will not grieve as though the rest of those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is a real and living hope. In the same way that we believe Jesus Christ came back from the dead, we also believe that he was the first one resurrected. And because of this resurrection, we also have eternal life. This means that no amount of pressure from enemies, uh, no amount of unjust persecution, and no amount of this ungodly world and the pressure of other people and that they put on you and the pressure that old friends place on you, none of that is going to compare to the victory that we're going to experience in the end. None of the pain that you're enduring now will even compare to the victory that we're going to have in the end. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, don't lose heart. 
even though the outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to encourage you, as I always do. Listen, if you've lost somebody recently in your life, you you haven't had your last conversation with them. And the next time you see them, you're both going to be glorified with Jesus. There's going to be no more pain and no more tears and no sin and no battle and no death and no crying, only pure joy. I mean, the likes of which you've never experienced before, even close in your life. The real point of this entire passage, where the Apostle Peter is telling us to arm ourselves with these things, he's, he's basically telling us that when death can't even quench victory, How can we ever lose? I've always thought of that. When Jesus came back from the dead, I'm thinking, what can you do with him? He's been dead and now he's alive. How can you ever harm him? What can you do to a dead man? And he'll never be harmed again. And in our suffering and in our trials and in our weaknesses and in our sickness and in our flesh and in our battles, this is how Christ Jesus leads us into all victory, even in the middle of it. Even in the middle of it, he leads you to victory. He does. You arm yourself with these things. He does. So I'll, I hope you join me with this new attitu- attitude. <laughs> a new attitude towards suffering is what I'm trying to say. Just a new attitude altogether. We can arm ourselves with the mindset that Jesus Christ had. We can look to the joy that's set before us. We can arm ourselves knowing the will of God for our lives so that we live holy. We can arm ourselves knowing that we're brand new creations in Christ. We can arm ourselves with the great hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And my prayer for you is that as you face this battle, fully armed this week, that you will see the victory that is set before you, the joy that is set before you, the holiness that is set before you, and a new mindset that is in you as you have the mind of Christ through His Word, that you will enjoy walking in this newness of life with this victory that you're looking forward to no matter what you're going through. Listen, no matter what you're going through, you have victory you're looking forward to. Hey, we get to say, What very few people get to say. I might be suffering now, but it's doing a work in me. This work in me is going to work its way out into eternal life. I still have joy, and I still have peace, and I still have Jesus Christ leading me into all victory, even in my suffering. I'm praying for you. I love you. Pray that you'd uh, have a heart filled with hope today, real hope, and that you'd give glory to his name. Hope you have a great day. God bless.